Chapter Twenty Seven of the First Violin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The First Violin by Jesse Fothergill. Chapter Twenty Seven. So runs the world away. Königsallier Number Three could scarcely be called a happy establishment. I saw much of its inner life, and what I saw made me feel mortally sad. Envy, hatred, and malice—no hour of satisfaction my sister's bitter laughs and sneers and jibes at men and things sir peter's calm consciousness of his power and his no less calm crushing unvarying manner of wielding it of silently and horribly making it felt adelaide's very nature appeared to have changed from a lofty indifference to most things to sorrow and joy to the hopes fears and feelings of others she had become eager earnest passionate resenting ill-usage strenuously desiring her own way deeply angry when she could not get it to say that sir peter's influence upon her was merely productive of a negative dislike would be ridiculous it was productive of an intense active hatred hatred which would gladly if it could have vented itself in deeds that being impossible it showed itself in a haughty unbroken indifference of demeanour which it seemed to be sir peter's present aim in some way to break down for not only did she hate him he hated her she used to the utmost what liberty she had she was not a woman to talk of regret for what she had done or to own that she had miscalculated her game her life was a great failure, and that failure had been brought home to her mind in a mercilessly short space of time. But of what use to bewail it? She was not yet conquered. The bitterness of spirit, which she carried about with her, took the form of a scoffing pessimism, a hard laugh at the things which made other people shake their heads and uplift their hands, a ready scoff at all tenderness, a sneer at anything which could by any strength of imagination be called good, a determined running up of what was hard, sordid, and worldly, and a persistent and utter scepticism as to the existence of the reverse of those things such was now the yea yea and nay nay of her communication to a certain extent she had what she had sold herself for outside pomp and show in plenty carriages horses servants jewels and clothes sir peter liked to use his own expression to see my lady blaze away only she must blaze away in his fashion not hers he declared he did not know how long he might remain in elberthal spoke vaguely of business at home about which he was waiting to hear and said that until he heard the news he wanted he could not move from the place he was in he was in excellent spirits at seeing his wife changing under the confinement to a place she detested and appeared to find life sweet meanwhile she using her liberty as i said to the utmost extent had soon plunged into the midst of the fastest set in elberthal there was a fast set there as there was a music set an artistic set a religious set a free-thinking set for though it was not so large or so rich as many dull wealthy towns in england it presented from its mixed inhabitants various phases of society 
this set into which adelaide had thrown herself was the fast one a coterie of officers artists the richer merchants and bankers medical men literati and the young and sometimes old wives sisters and daughters of the same many of them priding themselves upon not being natives of elbethal but coming from larger and gayer towns berlin dresden hamburg frankfurt and others they led a gay enough life among themselves a life of theatre concert and opera going of dance private at home public at the malkassen or artist club flirtations marriages engagements disappointments the usual dreary and monotonous round they considered themselves the only society worthy the name in elbethal and whoever was not of their set was niemand i was partly dragged partly i went to a certain extent of my own will into this vortex i felt myself to have earned a larger experience now of life and life's realities i questioned when i should once have discreetly inclined the head and held my place i had a mind to examine this clique and the characters of some of its units and see in what it was superior to some other acquaintances in an humbler sphere with whom my lot had been cast as time went on i found the points of superiority to decrease those of inferiority rapidly to increase i troubled myself little about them and their opinions my joys and griefs hopes and fears lay so entirely outside their circle that i scarcely noticed whether they noticed me or not i felt and behaved coldly towards them to the women because their voices never had the ring of genuine liking in speaking to me to the men because i found them as a rule shallow ignorant and pretentious repellent to me as i dare say i with my inability to understand them was to them i saw most men and things through a distorting glass that of contrast conscious or unconscious with courvoisier my musician i reasoned wrongly or rightly had three times their wit three times their good looks manners and information and many times three times their common sense as well as a juster appreciation of his own merits besides which my musician was not a person whose acquaintance and esteem were to be had for the asking or even for a great deal more than the asking while it seemed that these young gentlemen gave their society to any one who could live in a certain style and talk in a certain argot and they esteemed every one who could give them often in the savoury meat that their souls loved and the wine of a certain quality which made glad their hearts and rendered them of a cheerful countenance but my chief reason for mixing with people who were certainly as a rule utterly distasteful and repugnant to me was because i could not bear to leave adelaide alone i pitied her in her lonely alienated misery and i knew that it was some small solace to her to have me with her the tale of one day will give an approximate idea of most of the days i spent with her i was at the time staying with her our hours were late breakfast was not over till ten that is by adelaide and myself sir peter was an exceedingly active person both in mind and body who saw after the management of his own affairs in england the minutest manner that absence would allow toward half-past eleven he strolled into the room in which we were sitting and asked what we were doing 
"'Looking at costumes,' said I, as Adelaide made no answer, and I raised my eyes from some coloured illustrations. "'Costumes? What kind of costumes?' "'Costumes for the Maskenball,' I answered, taking refuge in brevity of reply. "'Oh?' He paused. Then, turning suddenly to Adelaide, "'And what is this entertainment, my lady?' "'The Carnival Ball.' said she almost inaudibly between her closed lips as she shut the book of illustrations pushed it away from her and leaned back in her chair and you think you would like to go to the carnival ball eh no i do not said she as she stroked her lapdog with a long white hand on which glittered many rings and steadily avoided looking at him she did wish to go to the ball but she knew that it was as likely as not that if she displayed any such desire, he would prevent it. Despite her curt reply, she foresaw impending the occurrence which she most of anything disliked, a conversation with Sir Peter. He placed himself in our midst, and requested to look at the pictures. In silence I handed him the book. I never could force myself to smile when he was there, nor overcome a certain restraint of demeanour which rather pleased and flattered him than otherwise. He glanced sharply round in the silence which followed his joining our company, and, turning over the illustrations, said, "'I thought I heard some noise when I came in. Don't let me interrupt the conversation.' But the conversation was more than interrupted. It was dead. The life froze out of it by his very appearance. "'When is the carnival? And when does this piece of tomfoolery come off?' he inquired, with winning grace of decision. "'The carnival ball begins this year on the 26th of February. The ball is on the 27th,' said I, confining myself to facts and figures. "'And how do you get there? By paying?' "'Well, you have to pay, yes, but you must get your tickets from some member of the Malkasten Club. It is the artists' ball, and they arrange it all.' Mm. "'Ah! And as what do you think of going, Adelaide?' he inquired, turning with suddenness towards her. "'I tell you I've not thought of going, nor thought anything about it. Herr von Francius sent us the pictures, and we were looking over them, that is all.' Sir Peter turned over the pages, and looked at the commonplace costumes therein suggested. Joan of Arc, Cleopatra, Piccadilly Peasant, Marius Stuart, a Snow Queen, and all the rest of them. "'Well, I don't see anything here that I would wear if I were a woman,' he said as he closed the book. "'February, did you say?' "'Yes,' said I, as no one else spoke. "'Well, it is the middle of January now. You'd better be looking out for something. But don't let it be anything in those books. Let the beggarly daubers see how English women do these things.' "'Do you intend me to understand that you wish us to go to the ball?' inquired Adelaide in an icy kind of voice. "'Yes, I do!' almost shouted Sir Peter. Adelaide could, despite the whip and rein with which he held her, exasperate and irritate him by no means more thoroughly than by pretending that she did not understand his grand eloquent illusions and the vague grandness of the commands which he sometimes gave. "'I mean you to go, and your little sister here, and Arkwright too.' I don't know about myself. Now I'm going to ride. Good morning. As Sir Peter went out, von Francius came in. 
Sir Peter greeted him with a grin, and expressions of affability, at which von Francius looked silently scornful. Sir Peter added, "'Those two ladies are puzzled to know what they shall wear at the carnival ball. Perhaps you can give them your assistance.' Then he went away. It was as if a half-muzzled wolf had left the room. Von Francius had come to give me my lesson, which was now generally taken at my sister's house, and in her presence, and after which von Francius usually remained some half-hour or so in conversation with one or both of us. He had become an intim of the house. I was glad of this, and that without him nothing seemed complete, no party rounded, scarcely an evening finished. When he was not with us in the evening, we were somewhere where he was, either at a concert or a pober, or at the theatre or opera, or one of the fashionable lectures which were then in season. It could hardly be said that von Francius was a more frequent visitor than some other men at the house. But from the first his attitude with regard to Adelaide had been different. Some of those other men were, or professed to be, desperately in love with the beautiful Englishwoman. There was always a half-gallantry in their behaviour, an homage which might not be very earnest, but which was homage all the same to a beautiful woman. With von Francis it had never been thus, but there had been a gravity and depth about their intercourse which pleased me. I had never had the least apprehension with regard to those other people. She might amuse herself with them. It would only be amusement and some contempt. But von Francius was a man of another metal. It had struck me almost from the first that there might be some danger, and I was unfeignedly thankful to see that, as time went on, and his visits grew more and more frequent, and the intimacy deeper, not a look, not a sign occurred to hint that it ever was or would be more than acquaintance liking appreciation friendship in successive stages von francius had never from the first treated her as an ordinary person but with a kind of tacit understanding that something not to be spoken of lay behind all she did and said with the consciousness that the skeleton in adelaide's cupboard was more ghastly to look upon than most people's secret spectres and that it persisted with an intrusiveness and want of breeding peculiar to guests of that calibre in thrusting its society upon her at all kinds of inconvenient times i enjoyed these musical lessons i must confess von francis had begun to teach me music now as well as singing by this time i had resigned myself to the conviction that such talent as i might have lay in my voice and not in my fingers and I accepted it as part of the conditions which ordained that in every human life shall be something monkey, something incomplete. The most memorable moments with me have been those in which pain and pleasure, yearning and satisfaction, knowledge and seeing, have been so exquisitely and so intangibly blended in listening to some deep sonata, some stately and pathetic old chicana or gavotte, some concerto or symphony. The thing nearest heaven is to sit apart with closed eyes while the orchestra or the individual performer interprets for one the mystic poetry or the dramatic fire or the subtle cobweb refinements of some instrumental poem. I would rather have composed a certain little tromery of Schumann's or a barcarolle of Rubinstein's or a sonata of Schubert's than have won all the laurels for Gracie or the glory of Malibran and Jenny Lind. But it was not to be. 
i told myself so and yet i tried so hard in my halting bungling way to worship the goddess of my idolatry that my master had to restrain me stop said he this morning when i had been weakly endeavouring to render a shikana from a suite of luckness which had moved me to thoughts too deep for tears at the last symphony concert stop fraulein may duty first your voice before your fingers let me try once again i implored he shut up the music and took it from the desk in beeren sollst du sollst den beeren said he dryly i took my lesson and then practised shakes for an hour while he talked to adelaide and then she being summoned to visitors he went away later i found adelaide in the midst of a lot of visitors here hauptmann this here lieutenant that here male the other here concertmeister so and so for von francius was not the only musician who followed in her train but there i am wrong he did not follow in her train he might stand aside and watch the others who did but following was not in his line there were ladies there too gay young women who rallied round lady le marchand as round a master spirit in the art of zeitvertreib this levee lasted till the bell rang for lunch when we went into the dining-room and found sir peter and his secretary young arkwright already seated he arkwright was a good-natured tender-hearted lad devoted to adelaide i did not think he was very happy or very well satisfied with his place but from his salary he half supported a mother and sister and so was fain to grin and bear it sir peter was always exceedingly affectionate to me i hated to be in the same room with him and while i detested him was also conscious of an unheroic fear of him for adelaide's sake i was as attentive to him as i could make myself in order to free her a little from his surveillance for poor adelaide wedderburn with her few pounds of annual pocket-money and her proud restless ambitious spirit had been a free contented woman in comparison with lady le marchand on the day in question he was particularly amiable called me my dear every time he spoke to me and complimented me upon my good looks telling me i was growing monstrously handsome eh devilishly handsome by gad far outstripping my lady who had gone off dreadfully in her good looks hadn't she arkwright poor arkwright tingling with a scorching blush and ready to sink through the floor with confusion stammered out that he had never thought of venturing to remark upon lady le marchand's looks what a lie arkwright you know you watch her as if she was the apple of your eye chuckled sir peter smiling round upon the company with his cold glittering eyes what are you blushing so for my pretty may isn't there a song something about my pretty may my dearest may eh my pretty jane i suppose you mean said i nobly taking his attention upon myself while adelaide sat motionless and white as marble and arkwright cooled down somewhat from his state of shame and anguish at being called upon to decide which of us eclipsed the other in good looks pretty jane who ever heard of a pretty jane said sir peter if it isn't may it ought to be at any rate there was a charming may the month not a person pretty jane indeed you must sing me that after lunch and then we can see whether the song was pretty or not my dear eh certainly sir peter if you like yes i do like 
my lady here seems to have lost her voice lately i can't imagine the reason i am sure she has everything to make her sing for joy have you not my dear everything and more than everything replies my lady laconically and she has a strong sense of duty too loves those whom she ought to love and despises those whom she ought to despise she always has done from her infancy up to the time when she loved me and despised public opinion for my sake the last remark was uttered in tones of deeper malignity while the eyes began to glare and the underlip to droop and the sharp eye-teeth which lent such a very emphatic point to all sir peter's smiles sneers and facial movements in general gleamed adelaide's lip quivered for a second her colour momentarily faded in this kind of light and agreeable badinage the meal passed over and we were followed into the dining-room by sir peter loudly demanding my pretty jane or may or whatever it was we are going out said my lady you can have it another time may can't sing the moment she has finished her lunch hold your tongue my dear said sir peter and inspired by an agreeable and playful humour he patted his wife's shoulder and pinched her ear the colour fled from her very lips and she stood pale and rigid with a look in her eyes which i interpreted to mean a shuddering recoil stopped by sheer force of will sir peter turned with an engaging laugh to me <laughs> miss may bonny may made me a promise and she must keep it or if she doesn't i shall take the usual forfeit we know what that is upon my word i almost wish she would break her promise i have no wish to break my promise said i hastening to the piano and then and there singing my pretty jane and one or two others after which he released us chuckling at having contrived to keep my lady so long waiting for her drive the afternoon's programme was i confess not without attraction to me for i knew that i was pretty and i had not one of those strong and powerful minds which remained unelated by admiration and undepressed by the absence of it we drove to the picture exhibitions and at both of them had a little crowd attending to us that crowd consisted chiefly of admirers or professed admirers of my sister with von francis in addition who dropped in at the first exhibition von francis did not attend my sister it was by my side that he remained and it was to me that he talked he looked on at the men who were around her but scarcely addressed her himself there was a clique of young artists who chose to consider the wealth of sir peter le marchand as fabulous and who paid court to his wife from mixed motives the prevailing one being a hope that she would be smitten by some picture of theirs at a fancy price and order it to be sent home as if she ever saw with anything beyond the most superficial outward eye those pictures and as if it lay within her power to order any one even the smallest and meanest of them these ingenuous artists had yet to learn that sir peter's picture purchases were formed from his own judgment through the medium of himself or his secretary armed with strict injunctions as to price and upon the most purely practical and business-like principles not in the least the caprice of his wife we went to the larger gallery last 
as we entered it i turned aside with von francius to look at a picture in a small back room and when we turned to follow the others they had all gone forward into the large room but standing at the door into which we had entered and looking calmly after us was courvoisier a shock thrilled me it was some time since i had seen him for i had scarcely been at my lodgings for a fortnight and we had had no hauptprobe lately i had heard some rumour that important things or as frau lutzler gracefully expressed it was vitigis had taken place between von francius and the capelle and that courvoisier had taken a leading part in the affair to-day the greeting between the two men was a cordial if a brief one eugen's eyes scarcely fell upon me he included me in his bow that was all all my little daydream of growing self-complacency was shattered scattered the old feeling of soreness smallness wounded pride and bruised self-esteem came back again i felt a wild angry desire to compel some other glance from those eyes than that exasperating one of quiet indifference i felt it like a lash every time i encountered it its very coolness and absence of emotion stung me and made me quiver we and courvoisier entered the large room at the same time while adelaide was languidly making its circuit von francius and i sat upon the ottoman in the middle of the room i watched eugen even if he took no notice of me watched him till every feeling of rest every hard-won conviction of indifference to him and feeling of regard conquered came tumbling down in ignominious ruins i knew he had had a fiery child his child for whom i used to watch his adoration with a dull kind of envy had left him there was some mystery about it and much pain frau lutschler had begun to tell me a long story culled from one told her by frau schmidt and i had stopped her but knew that herr courvoisier was not like the same man any more that trouble was visible in firmly marked lines even now he looked subdued older and his face was worn and thin yet never had i noticed so plainly before the bright light of intellect in his eye the noble stamp of mind upon his brow there was more than the grace of a kindly nature in the pleasant curve of the lips there was thought power intellectual strength i compared him with the young men who were this moment dangling around my sister not one among them could approach him not merely in stature and breadth and the natural grace and dignity of carriage but in far better things in the mind that dominates sense the will that holds back passion with a hand as strong and firm as that of a master over the dog whom he chooses to obey him this man i write from knowledge had the capacity to appreciate and enjoy life to take its pleasures never to excess but with no ascetic's lips but the natural prompting the moral eat drink and be merry was held back with a ruthless hand with chain and iron and biting thong to chastise pitilessly each restive moment he dreed out his weird most thoroughly and drank the cup presented to him to the last dregs when the weird is very long and hard when the flavour of the cup is exceedingly bitter this process leaves its effects in the form of a sobered minor gathering wrinkles and a permanent shadow upon the brow and in the eyes so it was with him he went round the room looking at a picture here and there with the eye of a connoisseur then 
pausing before the one which von francius had brought me to look at on christmas day courvoisier folding his arms stood before it and looked at it straightly and without moving a muscle coolly criticizingly and very fastidiously the blasé-looking individual in the foreground received i saw a share of his attention the artist too in the background the model with the white dress oriental fan bare arms and a half-borrowed half-cynic look he looked at them all long attentive then turned away the only token of approval or disapproval which he vouchsafed being a slight smile and a slight shrug both so very slight as to be almost imperceptible then he passed on glanced at some other pictures at my sister on whom his eyes dwelt for a moment as if he thought that she at least made a very beautiful picture then out of the room do you know him said von francis quite softly to me i started violently i had utterly forgotten that he was at my side and i know not what tales my face had been telling i turned to find the dark and impenetrable eyes of von francis fixed on me a little i said then you know a generous high-minded man a man who has made me feel ashamed of myself and a man to whom i made an apology the other day with pleasure my heart warmed this praise of eugen by a man whom i admired so devotedly as i did max von francius seemed to put me right with myself and the world soon after we left the exhibition and while the others went away it appeared somehow by the merest causality that von francius was asked to drive back with us and his afternoon tea english visa which he did after a moment's hesitation after tea he left to an orchestra probe to the next saturday's concert but with an alphidesian for the probe would not last long and we shall meet again at the opera and later at the malkassenball i enjoyed going to the theatre i knew my dress was pretty i knew that i looked nice and that people would look at me and that i too should have my share of admiration and compliment as a schöne englanderin we were twenty minutes late naturally all the people in the place stare at us and whisper about us partly because we have a conspicuous place the proscenium lodge to the right of the stage partly because we are in full toilet an almost unprecedented circumstance in that homely theatre partly i suppose because adelaide is supremely beautiful mr arkwright was already with us von francius joined us after the first act and remained until the end almost the only words he exchanged with adelaide were have you seen this opera before lady le marchand no never it was alba's merry little opera there's teufelsenthil the play was played von francius was beside me whenever i looked down i saw eugen with the same calm placid indifference upon his face and again i felt the old sensation of soreness shame and humiliation i feel wrought up to a great pitch of nervous excitement when we leave the theatre and drive to the malkassen where there is more music dance music and the ball is at its height and in a few moments i find myself whirling down the room in the arms of von francius to the music of meine schönste tag in baden and wishing very earnestly that the heart-sickness i feel would make me ill or faint or anything that would send me home to quietness and him but it does not have the desired effect i am in a fever i am all too vividly conscious and people tell me how well i am looking and that rosy cheeks become me better than pale ones 
they are merry parties these dances at the malkassen in the quaintly decorated salle of the artists club-house there is a certain license in the dress velvet coats and coats too in many colours green and prune and claret vying with black are not tabooed there are various uniforms of hussars infantry and uhlans and some of the women too are dressed in a certain fantastically picturesque style to please their artist brothers or fiancés the dancing gets faster and the festivities are kept up late songs are sung which perhaps would not be heard in a quieter drawing-room a little acting is done with them music is played and von francius in a vagrant mood sits down and improvises a fitful stormy kind of fantasia which in itself and in his playing puts me much in the mind of the weird performances of the abatevist i at least hear another note than of yore another touch the soul that it wanted seems gradually creeping into it he tells a strange story upon the quivering keys it is becoming tragic sad pathetic he says hastily to me and in an undertone fraulein may this is a thought of one of your own poets how sad and mad and bad it was and yet how it was sweet i am almost in tears and every face is affording illustrations of the expressions of emotion in men and women when it suddenly breaks off with a loud ha 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 which sounds as if it came from a human voice and jars upon me and then he breaks into a waltz pushing the astonished musicians aside and telling the company to dance while he pipes a mad dance to a mad tune he plays and plays on ever faster and ever a wilder measure with strange airy clanging chords in it which are not like dance notes until adelaide prepares to go and then he suddenly ceases springs up and comes with us to our carriage adelaide looks white and worn again at the carriage door a pair of words passes between them milady is tired from him in a courteous tone as his dark eyes dwell upon her face thanks herr director i am generally tired from her with a slight smile as she folds her shawl across her breast with one hand and extends the other to him milady adieu adieu herr von francius the ball is over and i think we have all had enough of it end of chapter twenty seven